You're listening to Story Talking with Laksh, episode 101. Now, this is a really special episode, so I think it deserves a different kind of intro. Now, whether you're a regular listener of my show or if this is your first time, I want to tell you something about me that you may not know. When I was 17, I moved from my home in Gurgaon, India to San Diego, California to study at the University of California, San Diego. I was a student there for about four years, graduating in 2011 with a Bachelor of Science in Management Science. Now, I loved living in San Diego. And even after I moved back to India in 2014, I still go back as often as I can. And that's because of one primary reason, my campus. I call UCSD my campus because it's where I grew up. It's where I became me. For me, UCSD isn't just a location in space. It's a location in time. I'm really proud of being a Triton. That's what we call ourselves, by the way. Based on King Triton, who's the ruler of the sea from Greek mythology. And if, like me, you grew up in the 90s, you probably know him as Ariel's dad from The Little Mermaid. My point is, I'm proud to call myself an alum of UC San Diego. It is one of the top educational and research institutions in the world. And my very special guest in this episode happens to be the captain of the UCSD ship. Sticking to the aquatic metaphor there, my guest is Chancellor Pradeep Khosla. He is an internationally renowned electrical and computer engineer, recognized for his contributions in software, intelligent robot systems, and design. And now he's pretty much like UCSD's CEO, leading a campus of more than 38,000 students. A professor at UCSD has called him the best chancellor we've ever had. And here's just one of the reasons why. When he started as chancellor in 2012, he set an ambitious goal to raise $2 billion to transform the university physically, intellectually, culturally in just 10 years. UCSD already hit that goal, and it's only been seven years. Now, he became chancellor a year after I graduated. So I never got to meet him as a student, which is good because I would have been really intimidated. But I did have the pleasure of meeting him uh, on his last visit to India a few months ago in Mumbai, where I was given the opportunity to be the local host of a UC San Diego event. And when I was in California earlier this summer, he was nice enough to invite me to his office on campus to have the chat that you're about to hear. We talked about a lot of things, from what he wanted to do with his life as a teenager living in Bombay, to his work as an academic, to his time at DARPA, to what brought him to UCSD, and how he leads our campus and continues to learn every single day. I wanted to have him on my show so he could share his story with you. Because he's lived and continues to live an inspiring one. And he's helping thousands of students figure out their own stories every day. So, with that being said, here's my conversation with the University of California San Diego Chancellor, Pradeep Khosla. start with uh, back in India when before you the title of chancellor or doctor or professor all of that was there and you were 17 right and what did 17 year old you want to do with his life you know so if you were to ask my parents 
they would have thought that I was going nowhere. <laughs> uh, and if you asked my grandparents, they would have felt the same thing more strongly because amongst all the, uh, the grandchildren, I was probably one of the more uh, on the outer edge of living, you know, causing more problems mm -hmm. and solving problems, you know, always right. uh, uh, being more of a prankster, not studying as hard as uh, my parents thought I should or as my grand. Right. Right. And my mother was a school teacher in the same school that I studied. So, right. uh, so in her mind, I would embarrass her more than not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they would have said, he's going nowhere. Anyway, but if you were to ask me, uh, I think 17... Uh, or 16 when I finished what, what's called the SSC, the secondary school mm -hmm. examination. I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. Uh, I wanted to study physics. Wow. That's what I wanted to do. And you then ended up in IIT? So, no, what happens is, uh, so there's a 10 plus 2 uh, yeah, yeah, plus yeah. 4 system, right? Yes. So when I went to school, it was 11th grade. So it was not 10 plus 2, it was 11th grade. And after, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, after. That's uh, in Mumbai? Right. Right. So after 11th grade, you would go to college, but the college was like a bachelor. So I enrolled for the Bachelor of Science program. This was the junior college system, right? No, no, no. no? It's like, no. If everything had gone well, uh, after SSC, you would go to college. Okay. And that was a three-year bachelor's degree. Okay, okay, I see. So it becomes 11 plus 3, which is Got 14. It. Okay. Uh, which is not 12 plus 4. 4. Yeah. So that degree was not recognized in the U.S. as right. a legitimate undergrad degree. It was right. a pure, right? Sure. So anyway, so I went to college, called first-year science, and then I uh, took the IIT entrance exam. Mm-hmm. This was, let's see, so 73, so 74, I took the exam, and at that time, I think IIT would accept something like 1,200 students a year, mm. there were five or five IITs, 1,200 students a year, and I think my rank was like, I don't know, like 1,100 or 1,120 or some, like, yeah, just above the cut, <laughs> right, just above the cut, so... I go in and they tell me that, oh, you know, we can give you like uh, naval architecture in Kharagpur, mining engineering mm -hmm. uh, or agriculture. I forget, but they were all like, uh, there's nothing. And it sounds like not right when I tell you what they were giving me because it looks like the bottom of the bottom goes there. But mm -hmm. even at 1,200 out of more than 100,000 students taking the exam, most of who are self-selected, it is still cream of the crop, mm -hmm. uh, right. right? So it, does that, uh, so yeah, it just yeah, looks yeah. like it's not, but it's still cream of the crop. But I had no interest in it. So I just walked away and I came back home, uh, which actually was very upsetting for my parents because nobody walks away from an IIT admission. I mean, you just take it. Yeah, yeah. Right? My view was, hey, forget yeah, it. I've never heard of anyone. Yeah, I just walked no. away and I said, uh, <laughs> I'll do it again. So next time, I took the exam again, mm -hmm. and this time my rank was like, I don't know, 150 or something. So I got to pick whatever I wanted. Yeah. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make here is that I did not know it then, but I always had this little bit exaggerated sense of what is possible 
uh, what I could do mm. and more faith in myself. Looking back, I should not have done what I yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So looking back, I would not do it again. As in, I would take the IIT right. and find a way to right, right. change after I get there. But anyway, it worked out well for me. So, so this time I could pick anything I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are five IITs. Bombay was home. Uh, Delhi was aunts and uncles. Kanpur was grandparents. Chennai, Madras, I thought was too hot. Mm-hmm. So I picked Kharagpur. <laughs> so it worked out well. That yeah. worked out well too. It was a great IIT. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a great five years. That's great. Yeah. That, that thing you were saying about if you were to if you were to do that now it would seem like such a different decision to give up that first year that because you don't know if you're going to get back in and all of that right i think um, i definitely felt something similar coming to college here that decision to not do the for my parents that idea of i not going to at the iit all the aaa exams right and choosing to come here they thought i was doing the wrong thing too right but i i think that idea what you were talking about i share a little bit of that it felt like you are choosing to create a little delusion that you are going to do better than people think you will or that you're capable of way more than people uh, are projecting i don't on you. know if i was doing that i knew that i wanted to do physics Mm. So my view was, if I don't get into IIT next time, I don't care. I'm on my way to doing physics anyway. So you'll which, find it anywhere. Yeah, which is what I going. wanted to do. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, looking back, I can right. make it look more impressive than it really was. <laughs> but I think in my mind, it was clear I wanted to do physics. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you came to uh, the U.S. pretty much right after? No, that? so 75, I got into IIT. 1980, I finished. It's a five-year program. Uh And then I decided to work in India for, uh, so I started, I joined Tata Consulting Engineers. But then I didn't like the work I was doing. So I wanted to do, actually I wanted to be a professor because my mom was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do research and be a professor. So in 1981, I started applying and 82, I got admission. Uh, but I also got this. a uh, scholarship called Inlax scholarship mm-hmm. which was a one year scholarship uh, to come to the US uh and i had a choice of so they also applied for me so i had a choice of going to between what i had applied for and what they applied on my behalf i had mm-hmm. a choice of yale uh yale carnegie mellon hawaii Uh, a couple of other places I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I picked Carnegie Mellon. So. Was it that decision to then stay there for a long time, uh, as a, first as a student and then as a, as a teacher right. and then administrator? Like, what so what happened is when I picked Carnegie Mellon, I picked because I wanted to do computer control of power systems. I was working in the power systems area, like designing uh protection schemes for transmission systems mm-hmm. uh first at tata consulting and then at siemens uh, and i thought computer control of power system would be great because i was using the computers at tifr which is the tata institute for fundamental research mm-hmm. to coordinate uh, multiple uh, what they call relays you know the protection schemes uh again i thought it'd be great 
I did not predict that's going to be the future. But when I came to Carnegie Mellon, uh, the professor I was going to work with said, hey, you know, the brochure you got is like two years old. I stopped working there. I'm working in this new field. I said, what is it? He said, it's called robotics. I said, okay. Hmm. And Carnegie Mellon had just built uh, a robotics institute, the first of its kind in the country. Uh, so I said, fine, I'll do that. So, and that was another one of those, uh, I don't know, you can call it a gutsy choice or you can call it a convenient choice. But regardless, it was a very fortunate choice mm -hmm. because I was one of the first PhDs in that area in the country, uh, especially in experimental robotics. Uh, so when I finished, so I came in 82 and I finished 86, uh, I had multiple job offers. Uh, and again, I had an offer from Carnegie Mellon, so I mm -hmm. chose to stay there because that was the place that right. was defining the future in the area. Right. And you taught there for, it, I mean, eventually you became, you started going right. up and became an administrator and the dean of the engineering school. Right. Uh, how long was the, the teaching portion of that? So, I came in 82, I left in 2012. So total 30 years. Mm -hmm. I finished PhD in 86. So that's 26 years as a faculty administrator. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like, uh, like at Carnegie Mellon, I don't think I ever did the same job more than three to five years at a time. I mean, it was always mm -hmm. something different, defining something different. Uh, uh, so from 86... In 93, I became a full professor, uh, and at that time, again, one more uh, good fortunes, uh, dumb luck as I call it, mm -hmm. I was briefing the director of DARPA, and he says, hey, why don't you come and work at DARPA instead of doing research here? So I went to DARPA for three years. Uh, Mosaic was just announced in 94, uh, so I used that as a way to uh, define design and robotics as collaborative enterprises and mm -hmm. how do you uh, how do you build programs where you're pushing the boundary of research where you can make people collaborate without traveling mm. I remember this very clearly because at that time you could not collaborate without yeah, traveling right, but right. the web allowed you to do that and I saw that opportunity so I had this program called MADE which was manufacturing automation design engineering which focused on this. I program on real-time planning and control. I program on building virtual enterprises using the web. Mm -hmm. Like, can you build a virtual company with distributed resources without being in a single location? So, and this was in the mid '90s. You were '94, '95, '96. It's amazing. Uh, less than three years, slightly less. Than, amazing three years of my life. So, and that decision in then 2000. 12 to take this yeah they right. take this job was it uh was that ever in your agenda to one day like run an entire you know, an entire it, university it never was uh, i'll tell you why uh if you looked at 1982 uh if you looked at leadership whether in industry or in the government, or in uh, academia, there was complete lack of people of Indian origin. Mm -hmm. 
1982 when I came here, it's weird because I remember people still thought that there were elephants on the streets and monkeys on the, on the streets in mm -hmm. India. Uh, people, the impression of a person of Indian origin in the U.S. today is very different than 1982. Mm -hmm. uh, even though at that time I never felt uh, that people were singling me out. I felt very welcome. I felt very integrated. But it was clear that in society everybody knew their role and their station in life, as I call it. Mm -hmm. So I never had that ambition because I never thought you could break right. that uh, uh, glass ceiling. Right. Right. Even in 2012, uh, I think by that time there were people of Indian origin who had led universities, but I think I'm most likely the first person of Indian origin to lead a high-powered top five public mm -hmm. institution. Right. And so that opportunity, in a way, did it feel like this was you could not say no to something like this. It was it was something that... No, I could have like said no, but I, at that time, by the time I had gotten the call and people were asking me to apply and I had looked at it, by that time I would convinced myself mm. that not only was I capable of doing it, that I wanted to do it. So, right, yeah. right. Right. But this is a long journey between when I came to right. that point. Yeah. Uh, even, so this is 2012, even as recently as 2000, I don't think you know, people, or I, I would have imagined uh, me leading uh, a large university. Mm -hmm. I would have never imagined uh, a person of Indian origin being the CEO of McKinsey or Citibank mm -hmm. or Microsoft uh, or Pepsi yeah. or US Air. I mean, uh, many of these are iconic American companies, I would have never imagined somebody who literally comes from a different country and has been here 20, 25 years is at that point in that position. Mm -hmm. yeah. The When you got here and you started dealing with uh, students here and started meeting students, did you get this sense of, over the years, I mean especially even at Carnegie Mellon when you were teaching there, over all these years of teaching and uh, administration, what do you think has changed the most in the way that incoming students are like? And what has primarily, do you think, stayed the same? So I think, uh, I think more than incoming students, I have changed because I've gotten older. But the students coming in are always 18, mm -hmm. plus minus, mm -hmm. delta, or some, right? right? Uh, but my view of life has changed. Uh, in some ways, I've become more mature. In some ways, I've become more jaded. In some ways, I've become uh, more open. In some ways, I've become more closed uh, as you get older. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think that I find that every year, the class coming in is more... Uh, technologically adept, smarter, uh, knows way more than I did then, or mm -hmm. even I know now. Yeah. Uh, that's just life, I think. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think when I was 18, probably my teachers felt the same way about my class. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you think, and this is more of a 
alternate reality thought. Do you think that if you were 18 now and coming into like, you know, starting fall of 2019 at UC San Diego, do you, do you think you would make different decisions in terms of uh, how you would plan your career? Or you would still be attracted to the similar, similar experiences? So, yeah, so this is like being in a movie now, right? So if mm-hmm. I was 18 now in 2019, mm-hmm. with all the knowledge I have at age 60 plus, then yes, I would make different decisions. <laughs> right, uh, right. But most likely, they would not be correct. Yeah. Uh, because I think uh, at 18, your view of the world ahead of you, your view of life ahead of you, is very different than my view of life ahead of me right now. Mm -hmm. So giving me a younger body and an older mind, Mm. not clear to me, (laughs) is a good combination. Right, right. I think a younger body should have a younger brash mind where laws of physics may not exist, where Uh the sky is the limit, and where you want to be able to do things that uh, your parents think are stupid. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what allows the world to make progress. I mean... uh, one of the things that I've noticed even in my freshman year here was 2007. So it's been... Uh, 12 years. 12 years yeah. ago I started here. And I definitely... When, I, when I've talked to students here, even student entrepreneurs, I don't think I was ever close to being this, uh, not just smart, but confident about the abilities they have now to be able to succeed. And I've definitely noticed uh, now that I employ people, there's people coming out of college have multiple talents. Mm-hmm. They've invested in not just uh, an engineering degree, but they're like yoga instructors yep. or they're dancers they or they're music. theater, they're this, musicians. Yeah, right. This this aspect of the the multi hyphenate mm-hmm. career as as a as a leader at a university, how do you? I guess, uh, prepare students that this is kind of what uh, the world is asking of you now, that you have multiple talents. Right. You know, we do that here by creating opportunities. Uh, so we have like more than, I don't know, 600 uh, social clubs and uh, student orgs. Uh, I have never said no to a student org. <laughs> Somebody comes here and they want to do a student org, even though uh with all the wisdom I have right now, I think it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I have not said no because I'm wise enough to know that I'm not wise enough to know everything. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I never say no. I just let thousand flowers bloom and I let people run the experiment, make some mistakes. Uh, I think uh, my goal, and I do the same with my kids, my job is to offer like a safety net at the bottom of the ravine. So if, Mm -hmm. God forbid, you make a mistake and you start slipping, I don't want you uh, falling down and crashing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want there to be a safety net that says, you know what, everybody makes a mistake. We'll take you back up and let's start all over again. So, When it comes to the creative aspects of uh, being a student here, having the ability to not only do what the course plan says, but also coming Mm -hmm. up with whatever you want, whether it's through the basement program or through the innovation center and all these things. What, what advice would you give to incoming freshmen? Keep on trying. I mean, 
you know, there'll come a time in your life very soon after you graduate where you will not be as adventurous. You won't try as much. Uh, this is the right time to try to figure out who you are, what you want to be, what motivates you, what depresses you, what gets you excited. Uh, and I think you build that mental model now and then you have the whole life to execute that mental model. You've given a lot of keynote speeches and talks over the years and you certainly have to give a lot of talks now that at UCSD. Uh, how do you, as um, I guess the storytelling aspect of, it's almost like a sermon sometimes where right. you have all these bright minds looking at you. How do you prepare for these uh, these speeches and talks What's really going on through your mind in terms of what you want the audience to feel? You know, I don't know if I prepare as well as I think I should, but actually, so I'll tell you what I do. Uh, so clearly I have uh, people who write speeches, like Patrick here now, <laughs> uh, but he'll complain that I don't uh, read it until he writes. But I use, I, that, that. <laughs> I use that as an input. Uh, I look at uh, what the goal of that uh, gathering is. Uh, if I was giving a speech to entrepreneurs versus uh, Boy Scouts, it'd be two different things. So I always I don't have the same stump speech I give to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I try to go back into my own experiences and my own understanding of what's relevant at that point to just create a story uh, which is probably based in reality, but not always mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is imagination, part of it is uh, inspirational, part of it is motivated by what happened to me or to somebody else I know. Mm-hmm. So it's not always my story, right. but it's a story that's based in reality and looking to the future. Mm-hmm. How do you keep yourself learning? Right, so I have to so I read, uh, not as much as I should or as I want to, but I've always told people that one of the great things about my job is that any topic in the world, if I want to know anything about any topic in the world, I have some of the best people teaching it to me for free mm-hmm. uh, in 15 to 30 minute increments right. without making a commitment to a semester or a quarter worth of courses, <laughs> right? And, and never being graded on yeah. it. Uh, so in my interactions with faculty and my uh, administrative uh, uh, colleagues, I have a style which actually works both ways. Some people find it uh, a little bit difficult and intrusive and others enjoy it mm-hmm. because I keep on just asking questions. And when I ask questions, it is... In my mind, does two things. It informs me about information that I may not have. It also informs me about how you, who's answering the question, is thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of my uh, direct reports, then I build an understanding of how you think and I get a better feel for how to use your abilities for furthering the goals of this institution and also mm-hmm. to help you further your own goals. Uh, but it is not easy to be uh, in a meeting where uh, the boss only asks questions rather than give <laughs> <Right>. answers. <laughs> right. So let me just end by saying that uh, two things. One is 
people talk about mentoring and think of mentoring as only the young need mentors or a mentor has to be older than you. And I think both of these are false premises. Uh, I think everybody needs a mentor. I need mentors as much today as I needed when I was 25. And in my mind, mentors are both older than I am and younger than I am because I'm looking for things to learn from people. And to me, that is part of being mentored. It doesn't have to be active. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you may not even know that you're a mentor. I'm just learning from you. Right. Things that I like about you, uh, things that I think could fit with my personality. So for everybody, that's important to know. Mentoring is lifelong. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be older than you. Uh, doesn't have to be younger than you. It could be either one. So that's a very important notion that I want to leave everybody with because that's how you learn. Secondly, uh, you need people to know who you are because every so often when you uh, make a mistake or when you falter, people who know who you are will come to your help the right way because people help people. Uh, So it's good to have a collection of friends who could be mentors, who could be friends around you, who understand who you are, who are able to reflect who you are uh, and help you build an organization. So.